Hello, I'm Donnie Clinton, Director of Student Ministry and Media at West Hills Church, located in the heart of West County in beautiful St. Louis, Missouri. I'm also the host of the Going Deeper podcast at West Hills Church, where we take a few minutes to dive into last week's sermon or an interesting topic in the life of the church. West Hills is a gospel-centered church that glorifies God by living in authentic Christian community with one another, growing in spiritual maturity as disciples of Jesus, and serving the world missionally with the love of Christ. West Hills meets at 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings for worship, and we would love to have you join us. Today, Pastor Will and I are going to talk about the kingdom of God, his perfect timing, and the relationship between faith and reason. So thank you for joining us as we go deeper. Today, Pastor Will is with us again, and as always, and pretty much every time afterward as well. Um, And we are going to talk about the sermon from last Sunday, uh, the kingdom of God, uh, perfect timing, and the relationship between faith and reason. So, Pastor Will, do you want to recap? I'll do um, that. Sunday? So I entitled the sermon boldly, the most important verse in the Bible, um, referring to Mark one fifteen, where um, uh, Mark sets up that verse with verse 14, where it says Jesus shows up back after his temptation in the wilderness back in Galilee, proclaiming the gospel, which is, we know from Paul, Romans one sixteen, the power of God for salvation for all who believe. So we want to know, Jesus, what, what's the gospel? What's the good news? And Jesus announces the gospel in three sort of phrases. Um, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And so sort of unpacked those three. Um, and yeah, we just, I think we thought on this podcast we might do things a little bit different than we've done the past couple weeks now. And rather than get real theological and and go deeper in that regard maybe go deeper a little bit more personally and just sort of overlay those three points with some personal experience and um yeah so i don't know if you want to set up our our three questions based on those three sermon points for us donnie yeah so um as what was saying we'll just i mean we'll just kick it off the first thing that will and i are going to talk about and it is more personal because last week was so maybe heavily technical um, is when have you seen God's perfect timing in your life? Mm-hmm. And do you want to start? Or do yeah. you want me to start? Yeah. Uh, so when, Will, have you seen God's perfect timing work out in your own life and in your own story? Yeah, thank you. I, as I was reflecting on this question, this point, more personally for myself, if I'm trying to practice what I preach and implement and apply it to my own life, I, you know, I shared one example personally in the sermon itself, but... You know, I, I'll just you know quickly point to three sort of separate kind of challenges or tests of my faith that I feel like as I look back over my faith journey, God has put in front of me. Um, and you know, as as I was reflecting on it, I realized I've failed really in all three um, the test of faith, but I failed to to lesser degrees as I've pe- become. Uh, progressively, I think more sanctified, and so <laughs> the first, the first, you know, big test as far as God's timing, and I, I was tested in a lot of, um, in a lot of ways. Well, I, I guess I'll point to four. I, I point to start with in, in middle school, and um, and my father leaving our home, and I've shared my testimony with West Hills a number of times now, so I won't go into depth. If you haven't heard it, ask me. I'm very open about it, but. 
my father left when I was in middle school. And I think part of that was, you know, again, it's a test of faith and it's a test of, is God still good in this hardship? And um, do I trust, again, not only God's um, plan, but his timing too, um, that God, you know, is making making all things new, working all things together for good for those who love him, called according to his purpose, Romans 8.28. But do I trust that just because I, I, that I'm not experiencing that in the here and now, the goodness of God's time and God's plan, am I going to trust that he's going to do that um, ultimately? And uh, I did not trust that <laughs> when I was in middle school, even though I, you know, I claimed to come to faith when I was eight years old and, be, and have been baptized. And, you know, I I, that's a real hazy thing as to whether or not Jesus was king for me then or not. But, um, but I, I think that that was an ultimate fail of a test there, and I rebelled against God. I think I, I failed again some you know, 15 years later. Uh, well, and I'll, I'll just quickly weigh in on each of these two. Um, God proved himself to be good in that, and I can look back now and see so many ways, more than I have time on this podcast to mention, um, that God was working that together for good, why God allowed my, my parents to get um, separated and how um, he's even blessed me and blessed others through that um, and, and through me through that and, and being a part of my testimony. Then uh, for me, graduating Vanderbilt Divinity School, faith in shambles, and um, in particular there with God's timing, God not providing. I, I had so many interviews at so many like schools that I was interested in teaching at that I was excited about that didn't pan out and I just you know graduated didn't have a job you know this is May of 2010 you know June comes July comes still God hasn't provided and I'm just I get to the point where in July of 2010 I tell my wife Polly you know I'm I'm done I'm done with faith done with God it's a joke it's a lie you know God is not trustworthy God has not worked things together for good God's timing is not perfect. And then the very next week, I get a phone call from Culver Academies. And the long story short there is that was exactly the opportunity, the school, the, the ministry that I needed for God to change my heart and to bring me back to him. And again, God's timing was pretty perfect, perfect for me personally. Um, and then I'll just, I'll just uh, you know, leaving Culver, um, that was hard. It was hard for me to say goodbye. I wanted to stay, and um, Polly had to really encourage me. Hey, you didn't want to necessarily come here in the, in, the, in the first place, but God proved that he had a plan and the timing was right. We have to trust him that the time is right for us to leave. And now, of course, we look back and we say, yeah, as hard as it was to leave Culver, we're so glad we're here in St. Louis, so glad <laughs> God opened doors at West Hills. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, the one other personal uh story for me that I, I mentioned or example was all this all this infertility journey that Polly and I have been on two and a half years now trying again since Ellery to have a child two years before Ellery trying to have a child and um, yeah just not seeing that come to fruition um, other than with Ellery but um, you know just so many years of, of you know waiting and waiting um, just like again the you know, four and a half years for us, compare that to a few thousand years for the Israelites waiting for their Messiah. And <laughs> yeah. um, you just imagine the restlessness for them. But yeah, just trying to, from my personal story, encourage people that, you know what, I want to trust God's timing. 
it's perfect, when the time is fulfilled, when the time is right. Um, Galatians 4.4, 4, uh, Romans 5, I think it's Romans 5.16. Um, Paul talks about when the fullness of time had come, when the time was perfect, at just the right time, God sent his son to die for us. So, you know, if he does that with salvation, he'll do that with a, a child for you or a, a new job for you or uh, a boyfriend for you or, you know, whatever it is that you're waiting for. Or if it's not in God's plan at all, then, um, you know, do we trust him enough to trust his goodwill? So, Donnie, I don't know if you have personal examples yeah, there, you want to share. There's some, and it's important to clarify on what Will said because he's saying it like the boyfriend might come, the girlfriend might come, God's perfect timing, and we'll believe this too, is like doesn't always come in those kind of gifts. And sometimes perfect timing means waiting through suffering. Sure. That's what his story about infertility was. So I think for me, when it when it comes down to perfect timing, I have to think back to me coming to St. Louis because I all I knew in coming to St. Louis, this was four years ago in twenty well, not twenty eleven, twenty fifteen. Um, I didn't have a job anywhere. I just knew I was going to Covenant. And when I I was like trusting that the church I was talking to, my old church, was going to come through. Um, and then I had the interview the second day I was in St. Louis, and then they offered it to me the next day. And, and then for, for four, for three and a half years, I was at my old church serving as their intern. And... I, I just like remember thinking time and time again, like this was the place that God needed me to be because I have I had a lot of baggage coming in uh, to St. Louis and rooftop time and time again was like giving me the space and patience to like be a wreck and heal and heal through that. So I, I think like in most recent memory, the most, like, this is obviously God has great timing. I was struggling with, like, what I was going to do. I didn't have a job or money. And he's like, well, how about well, how about Rooftop? And I was there for three and a half years. And I would say, because of Rooftop, I'm, I'm probably just I'm a better person for having spent time there and, and grateful that they've equipped me to do ministry, even now here at West Hills, like, recalling the things that I've learned from them. Mm. So I, I would say perfect timing in my own life comes specifically, like, well, most recently when I moved to moved to St. Louis. I think you bring up a great point, Donnie, that I touched on again in the sermon. But, you know, the idea that when, when Jesus says the time is fulfilled, it implies that, that that time wasn't just waiting, wasn't just wandering, wasn't just searching and hoping and praying. But there was, you know, there was something that needed to happen there. And maybe it was the waiting, but there was something that was necessary, important to happen in order to to lead to um, God's ultimate deliverance of uh, mm-hmm. a Messiah or a job or the internship or the, the, the boyfriend or whatever. And so, you know, I, I know it sounds like in your case, certainly, I mean, you would say, you know what, I needed that, that time. Um, God knew what he was doing, giving me that time to fulfill this need to maybe work through my baggage and yeah. to, to, yeah, to, to. I just think to... that we have to be honest about the fact that um, oftentimes timing and pruning are synonyms yeah. and that sometimes you're not ready for something. Yep. 
And you not being ready doesn't mean God's not good yeah. and doesn't mean that you are not exactly where you need to be. Yeah. And that's tough, but um, the story of God's patriarchs and people in Scripture is like a lot of wandering, a lot of waiting, mm-hmm. and then God fulfilling things. Mm-hmm. And fulfillment doesn't always look great, but it does look like it's faithful. And well, we have to remember God's faithful. Yep. Well, I th- absolutely. And I, I think in my life, I look back, I needed those two years before we were able to get pregnant with LRE to grow, to mature. I was a better father for them. Mm-hmm. I needed all five of the years in Culver that I had before I was ready to come here and do pastoral ministry in a church setting. I would have, to your point, I, yeah. I would have wrecked it um, probably if I hadn't had all that experience. <laughs> yeah. And so, and, and in some sense, I even needed the three years at Vanderbilt Divinity School. Um, there, there was some preparation for ministry as backwards and paradoxical and seemingly counterintuitive as it was like God was preparing me in a unique kind of way that like you're not going to get at covenant such a different experience um yeah and so yeah I mean God just has a way of again like you said redeeming that and using that the mm-hmm. time the, the fullness of time um the, so yeah we just got to remember there is there is in the redemptive plan through history with God there is no such thing as wasted time that's right like and we have to be faithful to that's that right. idea yeah I think this brings us to our, our second one. Um, so the fullness has come, and and then Jesus says, like, the kingdom of God is at hand. And there are huge conversations in more scholarly circles about what exactly is the kingdom of God. Um, today, when we say kingdom of God, we're, we're going to talk about where in our lives have we seen that Christ is absolutely Lord? And we it's going to seem different than the timing one, because this might be more, for me, it's more about the kingdom of God is something that comes out from faithful pastors, because mm. we are a part of it, because we love Jesus, and then we help facilitate. Um, in my view, pastors are, in some way, help are there to help facilitate this this kingdom of God presence. I'm, I'm trying not to sound too charismatic, but it's like, I got a, so, um, last Easter, on Easter, I invited a family to the church. I'll just go first. <laughs> on Easter, I invited a family to the church. Yeah. Um, just from my, my, the coffee shop that I work at. And I was nervous about them coming here, but they, they came to West Hills and have been coming ever since. Mm. And, and today, uh, well, I, I went back to my coffee shop and they left a card saying, thank you for letting us be a part of this. Mm. So in, in my purview, the, when, when have I seen Jesus Christ be Lord and be king over things is when, when people trust that God is present and they can have faith in him. So this family started coming to West Hills and have seemed more cheery and they, and they seem happy to be around God's people. And um, so, so that's one of the things where, like, where is Christ Lord is when, when people are invited to come and be a part of this family. Where, where he's like the head over it all, and they joyfully respond to that. Yeah. Or, conversely, I see Christ being Lord over people's lives when they look at him in suffering and say, I don't know what's happening, but I trust that you do, mm-hmm. and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep, keep trying. <laughs> and that's, that's kind of stoic and archaic. I, I don't know. But Christ is Lord regardless of the happiness I'm experiencing. And I can always experience joy because he's faithful. So there's never a time where Christ isn't Lord, I guess is what I'm, is what I'm thinking. But how about, Pastor Will, when, when's yeah. the time where you've seen Christ be Lord over your life? Oh, well, yeah, I think, I think you're right to start with the definition. And, you know, I think of uh, 
the kingdom of, of God, you know, the way I tried to summarize it, simplify it for us to, to bring this somewhat, like you said, um, esoteric concept of the kingdom of God that is Jesus's favorite topic. I mean, um, Jesus preached about the kingdom of God more than every other topic in the gospels combined. Um, so we know it's really important. Well, what is it? What, how do we understand? I mean, the way I understand it more than anything is whether it's a physical geographical space or a spiritual space or whatever, it's just like Donnie said, it's where Jesus reigns as king. And, um, we know that he wants, he will one day again, reign, totally sovereignly um, kick the kingdom of hell out of this world and darkness and and wipe away every tear and all of that suffering will be no more that'll all happen one day but even in in this interim period you know this sort of inner space between his death and resurrection ascension and then his one day second coming return and glorification reigning forever um, you know we see this battle going on between you know, Satan trying to expand his kingdom and trying to wreck things and Jesus try, wanting to expand his kingdom um, and, he, and, and actually using us to do that. And um, to your point, you know, like giving us the gift of the Holy Spirit as, um, you know, our guide and his indwelling presence in us to, to go before us to lead us to empower us to be a light in the darkness and to push back the darkness and that's that that call and to, to live as an act five people as i was sort of giving you the visuals on sunday but i think if i can just put it a little bit i guess personally for me and try and think about a, the question of how has jesus been been king for me personally um and think about you know a king, like I tried to say there at the end of the sermon, a king really does two things. Um, the job description is to govern and to protect. And, um, you know, Jesus governs us as our Lord. He protects us as our Savior. I think, you know, I can, again, think back to my t- testimony of how Jesus has protected me as my Savior. And, man, I think, obviously, that's any of us who have a testimony, that's that's our, our story. And, you know, I've just been to your to your point, Donnie, about you know how we've seen God's kingdom expand even at West Hills recently. I, I think about you know, and to me, the baptisms are one of the most beautiful things that we get to celebrate together as a church because we're hearing these these two to three minute just testimonies of a, a, a cliff note snapshot of a life that's been transformed, you know, totally turned around for Christ. That is the kingdom expanding. That is what you know. Jesus is king um, in that person's heart, and they're just putting that on display for us and, and the visible representation, obviously, of um, being being dunked and, and raised to new life. And so, you know, we, we've heard from Allie and Courtney recently. We're going to get to hear from Alec and Eric here in two weeks. And I'm just so excited to see God expanding the kingdom here at West Hills. But I think back to my own life personally and how, you know, Jesus has been king for me, protecting me for myself. Gosh, I, I, I think of, again, this just the story, the f- sort of four anecdotes that I shared a moment ago in my own testimony in how many ways that my life could have gone so differently if, if, if <laughs> I had been, yeah. I mean, God protected me most of all for myself, you know, from my own sin, from myself. That's really what salvation is. God saving us from ourself. I mean, 
yeah, from Satan, yeah, from the kingdom of whatever outside of us, but but you know, the kingdom of hell is it's at work in our hearts if we're un, unrepentant sinners. You know, that's uh, Satan already has rightful claim to our, our lives, and God has to save us from that. Jesus has to save us from ourselves. And so I I just look back and I think, man, thank God that that however little appreciation I had for what it really truly meant to call Jesus king and to let him be king in my life, I thank God that I grew up in a family that did introduce me to the faith early, that I was you know, I at least made some profession of faith when I was eight years old and was baptized and all of that that, that just um, got me thinking about living differently because, you know, as dark as my middle school and, and, and early high school years were, rebelling and, re- and rejecting God as king and, and trying to usurp and take that throne back from him that I had invited him into, I look back now and even as much as I fought him, he was still there. And he was still king, and he saved me from what could have been even worse. I mean, so many things that I got into when I was in middle and high school uh, that were really bad and hard. Um, it could have been worse. It could have been, uh, I could have got into, yeah. So yeah. I think about that. I think about in divinity school, and as much as I, I said I had given up, and I told my wife I was done, and I rejected God again, it was like he, he never left. And, and again, I... You know, we subscribe to a Reformed theology here at West Hills and big God theology and the idea that God keeps those he calls and saves. And so, you know, if God really had a claim over my life when I was eight years old, um, you know, I, I believe that no matter how hard I fought against that and rejected him, he, his, his kingship and his rule over my life was bigger than my rebellion and my my fighting him on that and that that's just so much hope in that I think for us that um, in our moments of of deepest doubt and rejection of him you know in an ongoing way in this in this world in this life God never gives up on us I think of you know Taylor's going to preach this coming Sunday about Jesus calling the disciples and one of the things that he's you know talking about is just that and and um, the fact that you know, here's these these guys. I think his point is going to be. I'm ruining Taylor's sermon now and making his points for him. But um, yeah, just that Jesus calls the most unlikely people to himself because he gets more mm-hmm. glory. You know, by yeah. making the the wisdom of this world look foolish and taking the foolish and making us wise. And so. Yeah, yeah. Of, like gospel nobodies. Yeah, gospel nobodies. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I think that's that's kind of how he puts it. And so. I think back to my story, you know, and, and how God took me, um, you know, First Corinthians 15, where Paul says, I was the unlikeliest candidate to be an apostle, and God took me, chose me, in spite of myself, to be a proclaimer of the gospel, because he's going to get more glory from that. And, and um, I think that's just a testimony in my life, personally, um, to, yeah, God's power as a king. He's a really, really powerful king to be yeah. able to, to protect and govern someone like me who's tried in so many ways, so many different Which times run, yeah. to, to run and to reject him. Yeah. So. It's, it's important. Yeah, and that's exactly it. So the, I think we, I want to also, as we get to like the 23rd or 4th minute in here, I want to I say God's timing and God's kingdom, there's... You, you can't separate them. So Will and I aren't doing that in, in saying that. We're saying that everywhere everywhere Jesus is is his kingdom. And everywhere Jesus is, he has control of what's happening. 
therefore God's perfect timing is the same thing as where his kingdom is. Mm-hmm. And we have to, so if something's happening somehow within the sovereignty and lordship of Jesus and God, this is, this is exactly what's supposed to happen. Yeah. And that's difficult and treacherous. <laughs> can't be. Well, and that maybe yeah. brings us to our third point, which is mm-hmm. the difference between believing something in your head and believing something in your heart. Mm-hmm. We, I, I talked about that word pistuo again, faith. And um, how the, the Greek word means so much more than just intellectual assent to a doctrinal truth, you know, in your head. So I just give this analogy. I've used it in a sermon before. I'll use it again. It's really good. But um, I think it's I think it's such a visible, powerful metaphor for it. You know, the the guy I can't remember his name now who uh, was the first the first guy to stretch a tightrope over Niagara Falls and walk across it. And um, then he, he got to the other side, turned around, came back, and he grabbed a wheelbarrow. And uh, then he, he wheeled the, a wheelbarrow across Niagara Falls, came back, and the crowd all by that point had gathered and cheered. They saw him flying the kite over Niagara Falls, dropping the line. So yeah. they knew what was going on. Anyways, he gets back, and then they're cheering. He's walked across four times now, back and forth. And so uh, then he announces to the crowd, all right, who wants to get in the wheelbarrow mm-hmm. this time? Yeah. And, and that just sort of highlights the difference between I, I can believe, I can you know, believe that this person is capable of walking across Niagara Falls with a wheelbarrow because I've seen him do it with my own eyes. Am I willing to bet my life on it? Mm-hmm. Am I willing to get in the wheelbarrow? And I think you know, the difference between um, Christian spectators, you know, I think back to that sermon from maybe a month ago now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Christian spectators and Chris, Chris, Christians, Christian uh, believers. believers. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> the people in the stands and the people in the game is you know, there's a lot of people in churches that um, that believe the right things about Jesus and they and, and can articulate. Them. Sure, they can recite the gospel back to you. I was that I think for a great many years of my life, but. Um, there's a huge, profound difference between that and getting in the wheelbarrow and saying, Jesus, I, I trust my life to you. I just believe in my head that you're worth my life, but I'm actually going to you know, commit to, with your help and grace, laying my life down to get in the wheelbarrow and follow you. Mm-hmm. I think, and specific, so I asked Will this question, and I actually wanted it to be the whole focus of the podcast, and Will was wise to say, like, let's wait, because last week was an incredible amount of time, and it was, like, nearly 50 minutes. Um, but when I, was, when I was asking Will the question about this word, pistuo, um, it'll be, I'll link something in the show notes for you to look a little bit more at it. Um, in Greek, it just means to think or believe something is evident, um, like from preceding context, or specifically in a moral and religious reference, or the conviction and trust to which a man or woman is Im- impelled by a certain inner and higher prerogative and law of his soul. Like, there's, there's this idea that... Um, so when I, when I was talking about faith and believing, I actually, the thing that came to my mind is apologetics, which is the, the defense of the Christian faith, which we can spend an, an enormous amount of time on. But generally, there are some people who might believe that you can argue somebody into heaven. Mm-hmm. And... And so if I have the perfect argument, and then, then if I have the perfect argument, then my students are going to believe. Yeah. And it's like, that's not, that's not, I think, how the Bible really writes the story. Right. And that 
Um, while I do have a vested interest in apologetics, and as, especially as Will might going to a largely liberal school and having to answer back all the stuff he learned, um, there is there's this idea that if I have the perfect argument, then all these atheists and Jews are just going to see that Jesus Christ is, is this thing. But um, we have to go back to actually in the book of First Corinthians that says like, Nobody can say that Jesus Christ is the Lord without right. the Holy Spirit. That's right. So you can you can present these kind of arguments that are like, hey, this is a a b c the 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 disciples had to have an empty tomb, and while we even those things have been said from the stage in the past month and a half, yeah. um, there has to be this idea that believing people believe so in their hearts. Yeah, like that Jesus is a real person, and that I'm willing to get in a wheelbarrow. I'm gonna trust him with this yeah. thing and. And oftentimes, if, if, if logic is the thing that falls on your on keeping your faith, then a lot of the Bible really doesn't make a ton of sense, unfortunately. But I will also say, just as like my end, and you can take sure. it well, is um, that God uses secondary means to pull people to him by his spirit. So sure. these arguments might be the thing that someone is awoken by the Holy Spirit to come sure. to the Lord to, but they also might not be. Yeah. Um, and just like you can evangelize because you're a secondary mean of God, the Holy Spirit can wake up people. Mm-hmm. Um, so these arguments are good. To These reasonable arguments are fine. But I think if you'd like for someone to believe, pray to God that they would believe and give them faith. Yeah. Um, because if we're relying solely on logic to be yeah. Christian, then it falls short, unfortunately. Yeah. That's so. a really good way to put it. Um, that it's ultimately up to the Holy Spirit. He resides in our hearts, not our heads. Um, I think of an analogy of, you know, apologetics and, and the head knowledge really being something that can open a door that someone is trying to close, but the door still has to be walked through. Mm-hmm. And that, that's only done by faith. That's done by a change of heart that happens only by the Holy Spirit. So like you said, it has to be prayed for. And then lastly, yeah, it really is about, it's not only borne out, like you said, Donnie, in biblical um, experience, but also just in practical experience. Mm-hmm. You know, we've used the analogy before of like, I know in my head that Taco Bell's bad for me and I shouldn't eat it. Oh, but, oh my gosh. But in my heart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I want Taco so, Bell every day in my life. So this is, this is the thing, you know, is it really, our, our mm-hmm. practical experience tells us that what we love, we choose, you know? Mm-hmm. So the question for us is not, do we know Jesus in our heads? It's do we love Jesus? Yeah. Will we choose him? Will we follow him? So, And that is as good a note to end on as any. So thank you for joining us on episode seven of Going Deeper. And with that is episode seven of the Going Deeper podcast. Join us next week as we talk to one of our elders at West Hills, Taylor Keen. And thank you for joining us as we go deeper.